Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecast, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host. Thanks for being with us on one of the 47 radio stations, YouTube, iTunes, or maybe you're on the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Remember, we really appreciate hearing from you and connected. Check out our social media sites and say hello and connect and uh, subscribe. Well, today we have a fantastic show for you. We're going to talk about the multifamily market. You know, the apartment industry has done extremely well now for many years, and in some cases, really, the, the sector's done so well, it surprised people. But how long will it last? Well, today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the factors that may impact the apartment industry. We'll look at some forecasts for moving forward, and we'll share some successful strategies, strategies for management, leasing, for investing, and developing. Well, please welcome my first guest. It's Nick Fitzpatrick. He's a real estate analyst with Axiometrics. Now, Axiometrics does a great job tracking the apartment market all through the U.S. In fact, they closely cover over 120 major markets through the U.S. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate it, Nick. And let us know, well, how did 2015 do for apartment performance? It seems like it's been a little surprising for some folks, uh, the increase in rental rates and occupancy around the country. So what happened? Well, 2015 was another great year for the apartment market. Uh, in fact, it was the best uh, year, full year of growth this cycle with about 4.9% annual effective rent growth and occupancy rates right about 95%. Uh, we're really seeing strong performance in the apartment market. You're right, it is surprising people a little bit just how strong it has been and has continued to be. Uh, since the recovery began, we seem to have just built and built and seen more growth. And uh, yeah, the question is, how long, how long can that really last? Well, that's amazing. So 4.9 effective rent growth. Uh, put that into perspective for us. How does that compare to, say, historic rent growth? So the long-term average is really about 2.2% when you, when you look back. So, you know, when you're talking about almost 5% rent growth, it's really phenomenal rent growth. Uh, yeah, when you look back at 2.2%, uh, it, it really just shows you just how strong the apartment market has been. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a, my, I'm a broker, right? So that's our pro forma. Oh, rents are going to go up 5% a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're loving that. <laughs> and uh, so talk about uh, occupancy. So uh, how does that compare to, to uh, the average? So really occupancy over the historical uh, periods, right around 93, high 93, 94%. Um, so when you're looking at 95%, you know, 5% vacancy across the country is just it's incredible. It just speaks to the demand that we have for apartments right now. Uh, we have just an, a lot of new supply coming in, but we're holding that occupancy really, really high. Again, speaking to the demand, uh, and, that, and that allows uh, apartment owners to, to keep pushing those rents. Okay, we're talking with Nick Fitzpatrick with Axiometrics. So, Nick, what about the kind of the B and C properties? I think everybody thinks, well, the A's doing well, right? Uh, what do you see there? Well, really, it's the B and C properties at the moment that are really causing the high rent growth that we're seeing. So, uh, Class A properties, you know, that's the for us the top twenty percent of properties. Look, just looking at 
effective rent level is the top 20% will be considered class A properties. And those properties are competing with the new supply that's coming in. So they haven't been able to push rents quite as much just because of the extra competition that they've had. So what we're seeing with the B and C properties is they're leading the way five and 6% rent growth for much of 2015. And so that's really, you know, been pushing us to get that overall effective rent growth right around, right around 5%. And then occupancy wise across all asset classes, have really been hovering right around that 95%. So all, you know, we're full across the board. Class A, though, is still strong, right around 4%. Again, competing with that new supply, haven't been able to push it quite as much. But again, uh, still 4% is a really strong rank growth. Well, that's great news. That means there's opportunities in multifamily, no matter what uh, class of community you're investing in. So what do you expect moving forward for 2016? How long will these good times last? Well, that's the question. So we get into the the thought of how long can this really last when we when you think about the traditional long term rent growth average, what we've seen, we've just been growing leaps and bounds. So you know, for twenty sixteen, we're thinking we are going to see a little bit of moderation. Um, we started to see some seasonality come into play in the back end of this twenty fifteen. Uh, we expect to see some seasonality, but it was a little stronger than we we might uh, think we would see. So we think we might see some moderation going into. 2016 and we might end the year around 3.5 percent annual effective rent growth again taking into account the long-term average that's still a really healthy rent growth we've been spoiled with four and five percent rent growth so when you hear 3.5 that might not sound that great but really is healthy and occupancy wise you know we still have a fair amount of new supply coming in uh, but there's still plenty of demand out there. We might see occupancy drop a few basis points, right around 94.5% uh, to end the year. So still really strong, fundamentals still good. Just We might just see a little bit of moderation because that the exceptional rent growth we've seen uh, isn't necessarily sustainable. Right. Uh, boo-hoo, right? Rent growth down to 3.5, exactly. but if, if historic rent growth 2.2, that's still excellent news. And, and you mentioned new supply, and it seems like, uh, at least in a lot of the cities that we work, we're seeing uh, seeing a lot of new supply. You know, where are new supply levels, and how does that compare to historic uh, numbers? So our historic numbers of new supply come in about 275,000 new apartment units per year, long-term average. And so putting that in perspective, 2015, we saw about 340,000 new units delivered. And then in 2016, we're expecting a further uh, 380,000. So it's 340,000 in 2015. 380 in 2016. So we'll see more new supply coming in. But the thing is, the demand is still there to absorb these units, which is the thing. So it might seem like a lot of new supply, uh, but we we really have demographics in our favor at the moment. We have more of these prime renters we, from the 20 to 35 year olds. We just have more of them in that age group. They're choosing to rent, so they're putting off buying that house. So we have new renters coming in at the the bottom end of that age group, and the ones in the in their 30s that might have traditionally bought houses, they're putting that off. They're staying staying renters, and so all these this new supply is coming in, and we really need it because the demand is there for apartments. And that's great. And are there any markets that you guys track that uh, maybe are maybe in case you look at them you think well maybe they're overbuilding we really don't see too much uh, slowdown from overbuilding so you, you might look at Houston and, and say there's quite a lot of new supply coming in there but really it's, it was the oil prices that that caused the slowdown there and yes they have some new supply coming in quite a lot of it but it they weren't slowing down because of the new supply so what we're really seeing is it's more pockets of 
of markets that we're seeing, mostly the urban core downtown sub-markets where we might see a slowdown, but it really doesn't affect the whole market. So just for instance, the central Austin sub-market, the downtown there, saw a lot of new supply coming in. It slowed down. Uh, but then but then rebounded just because we do have this, this incredible demand. And then downtown Dallas, the Oak Lawn submarket was the same sort of thing. A lot of concentrated supply there in, in, in a smaller area. But it manages to rebound. Seattle had a lot of a new supply in their in their downtown submarket. So really, it's it's not really oversupply in the market. Some submarkets might be getting quite a lot of new supply. But they, so it sort of rebounds, picks back up. But it doesn't really affect the market overall. We're talking with Nick Fitzpatrick with Axiometrics. So, Nick, are there any communities, some areas, some cities where there might be opportunities for investors or developers where the numbers are looking really good? Well, the, the markets that are strong right now, Portland is just uh, the top dog at the moment. We're seeing like 11% rent growth currently mm-hmm. to end the year in Portland. The West Coast is still really strong. We did see some seasonality uh, in San Francisco, the Bay Area, but they're still strong performers. The West Coast really throughout is very strong. Tampa and Orlando had very strong 2015s, uh, and Phoenix and Vegas. So those markets that sort of got hit quite hard by the housing, the housing crash. They came back really strong and have been strong for the past year, year and a half. So Phoenix and Vegas are, are good ones as well. Okay, well, some good markets to to look into. And what about B and C communities? Do you think there's still some some good upside in uh, in some of those properties? Yeah, definitely. There's there's still the option for value add. That's been sort of a hot topic now for for a while. So it might be a little bit more difficult to find your site, or there might be some more competition there. But we're still seeing the stronger growth rates in those B and C properties. So yeah, if you can find and and get that site, get that uh get that asset, then yeah, there's definitely opportunity there. Okay, and can you share a quick tip with our listeners before you have to go. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, there's so much competition out there. There's so much new supply coming. It's just important to uh, to make sure you've got the right data, that you've got the right market scoped out, the right sub-market, the right neighborhood. So it's just important to make sure you've got got the right data behind uh, behind making that decision. Yeah, well, well said and good point, Nick. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Great. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on the apartment industry, including cap rates and strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800 408 Bull. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the multifamily market. Please welcome my next guest. is Dr. Larry Souza. He's chief economist and advisor for Monterax, and he's also a teacher in San Francisco, a professor. He's also a CRE and a CCIM. We've talked to him before. You're going to enjoy it. Larry, thanks for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. My pleasure. We appreciate it. And let us know about the multifamily sector. You look at all the sectors, you watch them. How do you feel about investing in multifamily sector today compared to the other sectors, the other choices? Well, you know, multifamily has always been historically the best performing property sector. 
on a risk-adjusted basis. The other property sectors, office, retail, industrial, are more subjected to the business cycle, but apartment demand comes fundamentally from housing demand, demographics, and jobs. Multifamily also has the comparative advantage of having access to capital. The government-sponsored entities, the GSCs, provide and back a lot of the mortgage finance uh, for apartments. The other property sectors just do not have that kind of financial backing by a government-sponsored entity. So the, uh, the multifamily sector, even though you've seen a lot of new construction across the United States, there is more housing demand than there is construction. And I would say definitely the coastal markets will continue to outperform where the interior commodity markets will be more subjected to uh, supply shocks. And that's just uh, the nature of the business, and it's always been like that over the decades. So you like the the safety, the available financing, and pretty much kind of the, I guess, the security of that multifamily market. There's People always need a place to live, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and if you look at the statistics, I mean, we just ran our fourth quarter report from Monetarx, and over the last year, about $120 billion in private placements went to the uh, multifamily sector. It's the most popular sector of all the asset classes next to the office, and most of the capital is being concentrated in the coastal markets. And the multifamily has one of the highest commitment rates, capital commitment rates, to those private placements. So you have very strong financial fundamentals. You have housing demand driven by demographics, driven by employment. And if I was to recommend anybody on what your investment strategy would be going forward, would be to focus on the core markets, supply-constrained markets. And if you want to play the commodity markets, I would zero in on properties that are opportunistic or value-add in and around airports and ports and universities and medical centers, those growth, concentrated growth areas. And that will immunize yourself from a lot of the supply shock and maybe the impending recession, which looks like it may uh, emerge by 2018. Yeah, and those are good tips, but I got to key in on that, 2018. So how long do you expect these good times to last? Is that when you're suggesting that we may have some issues? Yeah, absolutely. We have a retroactive tax policy that's going to hit in 2018. A lot of the over-accommodation that you've seen globally and domestically will start to slow down by that time. And if you study political business cycles, you usually do not have a recession during a, an election year. And it usually the, uh, the interest rate start to increase by the Federal Reserve a year after, which means that's 2017. And then the transmission effect of those rising interest rate environments usually hit the following year. So I'm forecasting a slowdown or a mild recession by 2018. So does that mean if you own multifamily properties, you may want to look at considering selling some of those in the next year or two? I would maybe sell, hold on to cash. If you sell and you have zeroed out basis and very high appreciation rates, I would probably go through the property and see if there's any deferred maintenance. Maybe you can reposition it, remodel it, redevelop it, try to put some lipstick on these properties to make them appealing so that when the recession does hit, that your property stands out as a quality asset and people want to live there and you'll be able to maintain higher economic occupancies and higher rental revenue if you're able to uh, maintain and make sure your property uh, continues to be competitive within the uh, within the submarket. 
So right. I would probably be making capital commitments into my existing properties in preparation for the downturn. And like you said, there's a lot of money going into multifamily, and some of that is foreign investment. And there's been some changes with the FERPTA rules, which may allow more foreign investors the capability to have good returns here in commercial real estate. How do you think these changes could impact the multifamily industry? You know, obviously the, the domestic capital commitments, you know, are the biggest portion. Foreign debt does have an, uh, a, an effect. A lot of the Chinese buyers that I've been working with here in in the Bay Area are really looking to, to build and buy a very high quality assets. They're looking for assets in, in the best markets. They are price sensitive. They're willing to do their due diligence, but I think there's going to continue to be foreign capital coming in. They're going to go into apartments because Brazil's in a recession, Argentina's in a recession, Europe's you know slowly recovering, Japan's in a recession, and China's decelerating significantly. And we are seeing capital outflows out of China, and they're coming here and they're going into into real estate, and they do like apartments. Well, that's interesting. So your suggestions are a lot of things that could impact the values of commercial real estate and, and multifamily, what we're talking about today. And one of those factors, I guess, is uh, the chance of rising interest rates. What do you think the impact will be there for multifamily? I think overall, unless interest rates rise significantly, I mean, the 10-year treasury is around 2% right now. Um, in 2006 and seven, which was the last recovery peak in the business cycle, the 10-year treasury went to 4%. I don't see the uh, interest rates going above 4%. So they'll probably, the 10-year will probably go to three if it goes to four. I still think that because of the, the GSEs and the, and the financing that they provide, it's going to hold down the cost of capital and hold down uh, mortgage debt financing costs for apartments, which has always given apartments a comparative advantage against the other property sectors. Their cost of capital is a lot higher on the debt and equity side. Apartments have always been lower, which gives you a, a wider spread um, between the cost of capital and your cap rate or your internal rate of return. So it has a comparative advantage over all of the asset classes, and that's my favorite asset class is apartments. Yeah, and before we have to let you go and get back to your students, and one, I think, cracked open a beer. You better watch him back there. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not all they're cracking out here. <laughs> uh, what are, what are, some where are some opportunities in multifamily right now? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a big believer in employment concentration. Um, where are the major employment hubs and where are the supply constrained markets? Um, I think the Western region, if you look at all the rankings by economic occupancy or rent growth or fundamentals, they're in the Western region. Um, Seattle is a great market. Downtown, east side, a lot of tech. Um, Portland's an okay market. I'm not a big fan of it unless I'm in Washington County next to Intel. Um, the San Francisco Bay Area severely undersupplied in regards to housing. The big risk here is a deceleration in tech and maybe some layoffs uh, that are starting to form. LA is a big market. If you could pick your markets in LA, extremely supply constrained, a great market. I actually like Salt Lake City. If you can get next to the Med Center or the university or the airport, that's a great market. To, uh, it's commodity based, but you can immunize yourself. Uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix, maybe by the airport, uh, but be careful. That market gets oversupplied. It provides you with higher cap rates, but again, you could get hit pretty hard by the supply. And then Texas is wide open, and so is the South. I mean, good luck um, going there. I mean, it's uh, there's opportunities, but you really have to be careful. Great. Larry, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your insight. 
uh, you're welcome. Go to our website and uh, and check out our data. Thank uh, you. We'll do it, and we'll have their website on the our show website at commercialrealestateshow.com. We'll stay tuned. We'll have more on the multifamily market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. We're talking about the multifamily industry. Now we're going to talk to Jim Schroeder. He is a partner and CFO with Tribage Residential. They have $1.3 billion of multifamily property under management in the U.S. He's here in Studio One with us. Jim, thanks for being with us. You bet. Great to be here. Well, we appreciate it. And, you know, we talked earlier to Nick. Fitzpatrick with Axiometric, and he said in 2015 overall the U.S. had a 4.9 percent increase in rental rates, which which is great. And the, the news has been so good for so many years. You guys are on the ground level. You guys have the communities, and you're tracking things like uh, tenant traffic. So I'm curious, what are you seeing, you know, on the ground level right now for tenant traffic? Uh, you see any adjustment? Absolutely. And so it's more than anything, it's an adjustment in trends for how people shop for apartments. It used to be they would come up with their list and then they go visit eight to 10 different properties. Today, they try to do as much of that work as they can online. And so it's reduced. We only, they'll only visit three or four properties. And so what that means is traffic's gone down slightly, but that doesn't mean the demand has gone down. The demand just spends its time in research more online, doing the online chats, doing the online videos and photos, and figuring out which amenities are at which properties and narrowing their list down from there. That's interesting. So you're not really seeing a fall off on potential tenants at all yet? Absolutely not. Yeah. The demand in our markets yeah has been phenomenal. And yeah. so you mentioned the 4.9% nationally in terms of multifamily. Mm -hmm. In our markets, uh, we've seen as high as seven or eight here in the Atlanta market, Charlotte, we've seen closer to 10 to 12%, especially <laughs> one property had 15%. Wow. And really it comes down to coming up with the right property that can ride off the coattails of the adjacent properties. And so you have a development, new devel development right next to it, getting $1.60, $1.70 rents and our property we bought with a dollar rents. And so without doing anything, we can just get organic rent growth that pushes up to $1.30. It's been fantastic. That's fantastic. And you guys do a little bit of everything, right? You've, you've, you've bought B and C, uh, you've converted B to A communities, and now, and now you've even bought brand new communities even before they were leased up. Tell us about uh, that. Sure. So as you mentioned, we invest up and down the risk spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so we're always looking for our own dollars and our investors' dollars. Where can we find the best risk-adjusted returns? Mm -hmm. And over the course of our history, the best value for that was B. B properties turned them to A. Well, those deals have been priced up. Everybody's trying to do that. So we wanted to stay a step ahead of the investment herd. Where could we do that? Everybody's developing and building new properties. And so we started to do reached out to many of those developers and relationships that we have with our fellow developers and say, we know you want out of this investment, we know you want to lock in your profit, but there's a lot of risk on the table. You have to lease up the property. We don't know what's going to happen in the geopolitical world. We don't know what's going to happen with interest rates. You can lock in your profit today and we'll buy it based on you're only 30 or 40% occupied. And basically we've been very successful with that over the past year or two and basically lock in specific criteria where they have to reach a certain threshold of leasing 
and it's been a phenomenal program for us. We've done it in a number of locations. That's great. And you mentioned, you know, new supply, and I think that's a big part of the equation, right, that everyone's a little concerned with. You know, there are, there are new, more, new, more new supply coming online now. How you guys have a concern about it, what do you see? So from a macro standpoint, you can look at a few cities and say, we, get, we start to get concerned about the supply coming on. But then you really need to drill down into the submarkets. And so many investment institutional groups have said, we can't invest in Nashville, there's too much supply coming on. Well, if you dig deeper, a lot of it's all within the Gulch or the Germantown neighborhood, two very attractive hot markets. Well, if you avoid those particular areas and invest where there's still very strong demand, that's where you can see great success. And so it really comes down to knowing the specific submarket you're in and ensuring you're avoiding those that have significant oversupply coming on. That's a good point. And then one of the things that's impacting new supply are the rise in construction costs. What do you guys see there and how is it impacting the market as you see it? So the rise in construction costs is definitely one of the biggest factors that's going to be limiting supply in the coming years for new development. Typically, developers always overbuild. If you look at a real estate cycle, the boom and bust, the reason the bust takes place is everybody keeps building until someone gets burned. Right. Well, you can't keep building today because of the construction prices. To be specific, we're having to build in over 1% growth in cost per month. Per month. Per month. Mm -hmm. And so if you compound that, you're well over 13% in terms of annual cost escalations. And so it's becoming very difficult to do development deals. And so one thing we've done to address that is we've tied up a number of properties over the past few years where we locked in a low land basis. New property values for land has increased substantially, in some cases doubled over the past year or so. So our new competitors coming in, they have a significantly higher land basis than we've had, and we're able to come in and build. Obviously our costs have escalated as well, but our basis is much lower due to that land. That's a fantastic move. And so the, the rising construction costs, I like your point there. It should keep uh, a lid on some of the new supply because the numbers are not going to work. You get an increase in the land price, you get an in increase in the uh, construction costs, and then pretty soon you're just not going to get the rent levels for new supply. Should help the apartment market, should help cap rates and values. We're going to talk more about all that, so stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you in accounting, banking, or technology? Advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the multifamily market. Please welcome my next guest. It's Seth Greenberg. He's CEO of ECI Group. Now, ECI Group, they build, they acquire, they renovate, they own, and they manage multifamily apartments in the U.S. Seth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, you appreciate it. And as you guys are building today, it seems like the uh, there's a lot of people building uh, in town uh, apartment projects and they're building for the Millennials. What are some of the aspects that you're seeing in, in building the right property in the right location? It's, you know, Mike, it's really interesting you ask me because we, we build in town. We just finished a project in downtown Miami. We're working on something in greater Atlanta in an in-town area. And we also just finished a project on the edge of Savannah. In each one of those properties, we have to meet the market. In Miami, it's a little 
more trendy, a little more looking to have people have that splash. In Atlanta, people are looking for the quality, and we're, and we're not sure whether we're going to have a younger crowd or potentially folks who are downsizing their homes. So we have to try and have our amenities and our units match both of those, well, be a high-end user, but not necessarily have all have the same needs. Everyone basically wants the same house, but with little twists. So we have business centers, we have cooking kitchens, we have great outdoor amenities and pools, but each time we do it, we have to sort of package it in a way that's digestible to our well, who we see our potential customer to be. In Savannah, where we were on the edge, we were totally focused on providing a quality housing experience, the same pool area, the same business center, the same club room, but in a way that's acceptable and appreciated and affordable by our renter there. And that's the great balance that we have to do as we pick our locations. That makes a lot of sense, and I think some people may think that developers are, they have a product and they build that same product wherever they go. Uh, but it makes sense to, to adjust it to your, to your market and to your area. So what do you, though, tell me first about the, the, what you call it a cook's kitchen is, uh, or a cooking kitchen? Tell me about that. It's sort of, it's sort of like an a, a, a exhibition kitchen where you could bring a chef in or you could entertain and the area flows out to the pool area, which makes it somewhere where if a resident wants to reserve it for a party for themselves, that would work. Or we will have property functions, say on Super Bowl Sunday or on a, or a Sunday brunch where we could do exhibitions, show people different ways they can make breakfast in their own houses and also serve and create a sense of community. Oh, that's cool. So what about construction costs today? I mean, we're hearing that construction costs are rising pretty quickly. What's happening there and how's it impacting it? So we are a general contractor. We also hire general contractors for some of our properties when we think that we can get a better result letting someone else build it. We're seeing a terrific escalation in labor costs. If we, I, I think we've lost a generation of carpenters, <laughs> electricians, and plumbers through this last downturn. And now we're suffering because things are getting better, people want to build to meet the demand of rising rents and all these new household creations, and, and there literally aren't enough folks who know how to take a two-by-four and build a wall around. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Nor do I. I, I. I've seen enough do it, and I know what, what, when it looks right, right. But, but I'm not the one who can actually, ex actually execute it well. Yeah. yeah, me too. And so let's talk about the um, performance of your properties. Uh, you know, we heard from Axiometrics that the, yeah. that the U.S. apartment market has seen great rental growth this year and uh, occupancy growth. What are you guys seeing on your properties? So we're seeing nice growth in Atlanta, in Tampa, in Florida, in Virginia. Now, in, we also have stuff in Mississippi and Louisiana. And quite honestly, there, Mississippi's flat mm -hmm. in Louisiana with the oil oil going from 100 down to 25 and the downsizing there, we're seeing a reduction in rate. So, so my, my point is, and you, you talk about real estate as fungible, you talk about real estate as a commodity, about a, a investment like investing in a spider in a 500, you can't forget that it's a local product. It's hand-to-hand -hand combat, it's on that street corner 
where are you going to be, how are you going to operate it, how are you going to match what your customer wants. Yeah, that's a very good point. And sometimes I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about cap rates and because uh, then you'll have a client a client call me and say, well, you said on your radio cap rates were seven. I'm like, wait a minute, it depends <laughs> on the property, the tenant, the credit, blah, blah, blah. Right? That, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that could be high or low. But, but now is a great time to be in the apartment business. And, you know, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. Our, our family has been doing it for over 40 years. And we haven't always been as popular as we are today. It almost, it, when we first got into this business, it was a lot of single guys mm-hmm. in with a trailer and they would be able to go out and finance a property. And now you have these large institutions coming in and see it as an investment, as an investment grade product. Yeah. And it's really changed the nature of the business. Well, with that history of being in the business, you've been through some downturns and changes in the economy. Yes. So how are you expecting things to move forward in the next two, three, four years in the apartment industry? The last five years of the apartment industry, ever since 2012, have been as good as I could ever remember. It's been not too hot, not too cold. Mm-hmm. The same problem we talked about, about labor not being around to help build apartments and then causing construction costs to rise, has limited the amount of demand of supply that can come online, which has allowed for the rent increases that you heard Axiometrics talk about. Uh, absent something really horrible happening, and I don't wish for anything really horrible to happen, I don't want to call this the Goldilocks economy, but you have household creations occurring. You still have kids graduating from college. You still have people who are working their way out of the problems that we had from 2008 to 2011, moving out of their houses, creating their own households. You have enough positive stuff going on that I really believe that growth will occur. Well, that's good to hear, and we're going to take a short break, and I want to ask you in this market, are you a buyer or a seller or a developer? Stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S. apartment market. I'm Michael Bull. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the multifamily market, and I think I have some more questions to ask Jim Schroeder with TriBridge. I've brought him back here in Studio One, and, and Jim, it seems like there's a lot of, of potential in the market. There's also some things that could uh, be detrimental to the market. Are you guys buyers or sellers in this market? I would say yes. We are both. (laughs) (laughs) We are selling our older assets that have increased deferred maintenance on them, particularly our assets that we want to hold long term. Real estate's a long term asset that you hold for the long term and grow with rents and capital appreciation. So we're buying older assets and trading to newer assets with lower risk. Um, At the same time, we're also very strong in terms of the acquisition side. And one of the reasons is we have very strong appetite from investors particularly with what's happened over the, re- the recent couple months, the volatility in China that started back in August and has continued, um, gas prices bottoming out, the stock market volatility in the recent month, it's only increased buyers' appetites to be in real estate. So we continue to see strong demand. Our investors, uh, we have capital coming out of China, out of Singapore, and significant amounts here domestically in the U.S. When they see the stock market drop 10% over a month, it reminds them, hey, I want to be in something long term 
and that's going to basically steady, steadily rise as I hold it and produce dividend returns along the way. So whether our investors are looking for low risk, low return core assets, in many cases they compare them to bonds, versus looking at the value add, a little higher risk, higher return, or the most risk, most return, your ground up development deals where you can double your money over three to four years, there's very strong demand across all three sections. Okay, and I wanna get this question to you because my listeners and viewers are always interested in, especially someone in your point of view, where you're developing, buying, owning, you're trying to make decisions daily on what you're going to do there. How do you think rising interest rates are going to impact cap rates and valuations of apartments? Great. Well, first, we don't think interest rates are going to rise as quickly as it was first indicated by the Fed. They obviously raised interest rates, but now they've seen some indicators, particularly from global impacts, China, what's happening there, and just the other developing economies are putting headwinds against that. So we're not as optimistic they're going to raise interest rates as much this year as many people think. That said, when they do rise, there will be a slight impact on cap rates. But typically, if you look at the long-term averages, for every 1% interest rates rise, cap rates rise about 50%. At the same time, you always look at what's the spread from your bonds to real estate. And traditionally, over time, it's somewhere between two and 300 basis points. And when you get into the peak of a market, it gets down as low as 100 basis points. And today, they're definitely at the 300 basis points and higher. So we think even as interest rates rise, that spread between bonds and cap rates can definitely increase, or sorry, decrease and absorb some of that. And that's basically why for every one point in interest rate increase, you're not going to see 1% interest increase in the cap rate. Okay, so that's one of the reasons you're still a buyer in this market. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, what about FERPTA? I mean, the changes there for foreign investors to invest in the U.S., how do you think that could impact the multifamily market? So I think that'll definitely have an impact. I don't think it'll be too significant. We already have a significant amount of foreign buyers entering the market. Uh, your, your foreign pension funds and sovereign wealth funds are already exempt to U.S. tax anyway. So they've been investing heavily, hundreds of billions of dollars into U.S. real estate. Where this is going to impact are those groups um, more in the margins, not as large. So it will definitely help them. At the same time, it's not going to have as widespread effect as we would have liked. We would love for our groups of investors in the 10 to $20 million range to be able to not have to pay taxes or withholdings on their income in the U.S. The bill didn't go that far. Um, so it would have an impact, but not a widespread impact. Okay. Well, Jim, thanks for your thoughts uh, and your ideas. We appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for joining us out there on one of the 47 radio stations, YouTube, iTunes, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Remember, we love hearing from you, so please do subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, subscribe to iTunes, and connect with us on social media like LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about the industrial market. That's been a crazy market. Is it time to invest there? We'll talk more about that. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.